Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. And you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up in just a few minutes, you can learn a lot from a 12-year-old. That's right. My 12-year-old son is going to teach us all something about surfing the web and staying away from trouble. I want to talk right now about something that has distressed me for years is that we have the most inefficient housing construction industry in the Western world. Of all developed countries, we do a more inefficient process of building housing than anyone else, which is ultra important now because of what's going on with affordability or lack thereof of housing in the United States. And we in the U.S. today build housing no more efficiently than we did in the aftermath of World War II. Industry after industry in the U.S., has made such strides in how things are done over the last 70 years and how much more efficient we are in so many ways. I think about um, a TV studio that I've worked in through the years that when that studio opened in 1997, the control room had 16 people in it to do a newscast. Today, because of new technology, it takes three people to do what 16 did. And that's one generation ago that it's gone from 16 to three. In industry after industry, this has happened. And there are a number of factors unique to the United States in how real estate development is being done that has us so incredibly inefficient in how we construct. But I saw an item in the New York Times about how a number of Silicon Valley startups have come up with new ways to build particularly condos, because that's what they're looking for in apartments in Northern California, that are built much more efficiently at much lower cost and higher quality than what we traditionally have built in the United States was site-built. Because the thing is, everywhere else in the developed world, housing starts in a factory. Because on an assembly line, the labor productivity is many times greater, as much as 10 times greater, than it is with site-built construction. Because when you do everything on site, one contractor, one sub, even just a couple of workers not showing up can mess everything up with a construction schedule. When you're building on an assembly line, just like with an automobile, you can control for labor flow. You also can build a much higher quality bathroom, bedroom, living room, kitchen, whatever, in a factory. 
and at much, much, much lower cost. And so then what the forward-thinking builders, and gosh, it's funny to call it forward-thinking because this is how it's done everywhere else, is when they complete a component in a factory, it's loaded onto a flatbed truck and taken to the building site and put in place by a crane. And so you build far quicker, and because the weather is not a factor building the components of a house, apartment, or condo in a factory, you don't have problems with water intrusion occurring during construction. So when the politicians all lament what they're going to do about lack of affordable housing in the United States and talk about what taxes they're going to impose and all that, the reality is private enterprise already knows how to do this the right way. It's just we're not doing it in the United States, and we need to to create more affordable housing without taxes being used or government intervention or interference in the free market. Leslie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Leslie. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you, Leslie. And you are right from energy country yourself. Yes, Texas. Where in Texas do you live? Uh, it, well, uh, it's, you wouldn't know it. It's Nacogdoches. Of course I know that. <laughs> Both my brothers went to the university. Oh, is that right? Yeah. For people who are uninitiated and uninformed, the university is the University of Texas. Do oh, you, Do okay. you know why I didn't go to the university? Why? I wasn't smart enough to get in. <laughs> well, I don't believe that, but anyway. <laughs> it's a true story. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's, that's hard to believe. <laughs> Now that I've told you that my brothers were smart enough to go to the University of Texas and I wasn't, would you like for one of them to answer your question or would you like me to take a stab? <laughs> no, I'll be fine since I've already got you on the line. All right. Well, how can I help? Well, I'm retired. I conservatively got my money invested in, no, it's not really invested, it's in a CD. The interest rates are so low, it's my nest egg. And the interest rates are so terrible that it makes about 800 a year, which doesn't even keep up with inflation. So I was thinking of going with an online bank, but I, I just recently started online banking at my own brick-and-mortar bank here in town myself because I'm kind of old uh, and leery about uh, online banking anyway. I'm just wondering which just plain old online bank is the best with their CDs. They sound so good. Yeah, so there's a survey that's done daily by mm-hmm. an outfit called bankrate.com. Uh-huh. And you can go on there and see for different terms what the best is you're going to find on CDs of various lengths. With the likelihood that interest rates are gradually going to rise, you know, having your money tied up for a five-year window might be pretty painful. However, since you can earn uh, 50% more essentially on a five-year CD than a one, you mm-hmm. could take some of your money and put it in a five-year CD and then 
a year from now take some of the one-year money and put it maybe in a new five-year CD, mm-hmm. expecting interest rates to be higher a year from now. But if you take yeah. all that money and you put it in a five-year CD, you're locking in today's very low interest rates. Yes, yes, and they've been low. I'm just wondering how safe online banking Completely. is. Completely. Completely? 100%. Yeah, up uh-huh. to a quarter million dollars, it is without doubt totally safe. Your money just... I think maybe I'll, you know, go online sometime and disappear or something. Nope. Nope, it'll <laughs> be just happen. fine. Don't don't fret at all. And I know you have a, a section on your website about which online banks rock. Yeah, well, you know, there with a CD or savings account, you mm-hmm. can even put your money with an online bank that's a crummy one because you're not doing your checking with them. You're not doing the heavy transactions. You're just doing the one-time thing buying a CD. So I recommend buying a CD from just whoever is paying the highest rate. I just grab it. And if you look at bank rate, they have the financial strength ratings on the banks. And so go with one that obviously is as strong as it could be. Jason's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jason. Hello, Howard. Jason, you sold off your house. I did. That's great news, except where are you going to live now? (laughs) Well, that'll be a conversation for next year. Okay. In the interim, though, I did take the proceeds and pay off some credit cards, and I had always heard that it's not a great thing for your credit score to to close any open accounts. So I wondered what your thoughts were on that. That's 100% correct. So having zero balance on the cards gives a huge boost to your credit score. Because the the balances work into a ratio that accounts for almost a third of what makes up your credit score. And so having them paid off means all that credit line that's there makes you look like a superstar with how you handle credit. And so you would not, there'd be no reason to close any existing credit line. Okay. I had a probably like 10 outstanding cards. Some are store, some are just regular. There are a lot of redundancies, so I wanted to kind of streamline it. Uh, You know, just don't use them, but don't close them. Okay. Because what will happen eventually is you'll get potentially an inactivity letter from a credit card, and they say, if you don't use this for at least one transaction in the next 45 days, we're firing you. Yes. But it's a while before they get to that, and it's better for you to have that available credit and if you really want to really work the system to your maximum advantage you'll use the cards that you're letting go stale twice a year just it can be for the tiniest transaction and then you just pay that bill when it comes in and it keeps that card active and available moving forward and you won't have to worry about an inactivity notice okay and then when i am ready to buy a house again I was also worried about the debt-to-income ratio for potential debt if I have those open cards that are not being used. What are your thoughts on that? That is a great question. So uh, some lenders, some mortgage underwriters will say, you're freaking me out here, Jason. You got available credit to you. I know you're not using it, but you have available credit of blah, blah, blah dollars, and I don't like that. So that would be the point if that happened and that was the lender you wanted to go with, that you would can the store cards. 
Great. Because store cards are looked at as junk credit anyway. Okay. So that would be when when you have to get rid of anything, you start with those. And if the underwriter at the mortgage company is still unhappy, then if you had to close a credit card or two of a general nature card, of you know, a Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover, you could do it then. But you want to keep as many of those open going forward as you possibly can, even through the process of getting a mortgage. Daryl's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Daryl, you got a question yeah. for me about these great land sales that have been taking place around the country. Yes, yes. Thanks, Clark. We, we attended one Saturday, uh, not too long ago. My wife finds these things, and she signed us up to go. It was a wonderful event. Um, it got us all excited. Did a really good job of, of, of you know, showing us a lot and telling us, hey, if you don't want somebody else to grab it right behind you, um, type of thing. So we signed up for two lots. I went back, did some research. I contacted them to find out what the, um, you know, the county says about the value. And according to the county, the value is a lot less than what we contracted for. First of all, I don't know if that's normal. don't know if these liquidation sales are above value or below value. The liquidation yeah, sales that are taking place at lakes, mountains, resorts, that kind of thing, that say yeah. this was worth $99,000, but now it's worth $12,000 to you or whatever, those things. This is yeah. one of those, right? That is correct. Yeah. These sales are, are they're, it's not that they're not legit. It's that the lots were never worth anywhere near what they say the was price was. And the is price is whatever the market will bear. So it's not like you can buy these and then you're going to turn them into a big number. Yes. Are you obligated to own these or are you only under contract that you can choose not to close? According to the contract, we, we're under obligation to close. There's no due uh, diligence you, period? You gave you, no, we gave you 15% uh, money down, and they said you must close. Okay, so um, I would go to a real estate attorney immediately with, a co- with yeah. copies of the contracts. I will do that. And see what your obligations are. How much was each lot? The one of them was over, let's say over 200000 The other one I thought was a lost leader. It was for only 20000 so I thought I'd grab that at a bargain. That's the one I want to get out of for sure because uh, the it goes, this is a deep slope. We had to look at it and be really, really hard to build on top of. So I'm going to get out of the $20,000 one. It has no lake view anyway. The other one has a beautiful lake view. Probably, probably paid too much for it, but we do want to build a house on it. Okay. All right. Well, head to a real estate attorney because you got a lot of money on the line here. And are you sure that you can bring utilities to that lot you want to build on? It does say, it does name the county utilities. Yes, it names water, sewer, electrical. And we did see spots on the land for the hookups. I'm not sure which one was which. Okay. I think you need to do some deep digging, investigating now. And Daryl, I I hope that this does work out okay for you and your wife. 
if you're getting any of these flyers, I got another one of the colorful ones yesterday for a sale of land in a mountain community. Be very aware that the the cycle of them selling them, pretending that these are screaming deals. They're just trying to sell land that they bought in a bulk sale from a failed real estate venture. And the prices that they're being offered at may or may not be a deal at all. Take your time. Don't believe them that you have to decide right then and there because later on you may be saying, what did we do exactly? Great to have you along on the Clark Howard Show where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. My 12-year-old son is a very good self-advocate. And when he has a question or problem or whatever, he'll seek the answer first on the internet. And if he needs to call customer no service at a company, he calls them up. I mean, he has he has no reluctance. He calls up. He says what's going on, and uh, you know they they put him in the system and whatever. And so it's really good that he is very assertive at dealing with things. Well, he was having a problem with an Apple product, and he then did what so often people will do: is he went to Google and put in Apple customer service. And he makes a phone call to the toll-free number, and someone answers, and he starts talking to the person, going over the problem, and next thing he knows, they want him to spend $100 on iTunes gift cards. And to his credit, he smelled a rat. So he goes back, does another Google search, and sees another number for Apple customer service, another toll-free number, and calls it. And he said that, because he came to see me after the second call, and he said, well, I could tell that one was was a scam right away. And uh, so anyway, he was starting to get a little bit of savvy about the fact that he was putting himself in a position where people might take advantage of him. And this is a problem anytime you're looking to talk to customer service, or as I call it, customer no service at any company. When you do a Google search, what will happen is you will have a number of ads that appear first. And then you'll have a number of responses that are not necessarily ads, but they're people who figured out how to get themselves early in a listing. And so you may call or you may click or whatever it is. And an example of this that you need to be very wary of is anytime you're booking a hotel and you know you want to stay at the blah, blah, blah hotel. So you put in as the search, blah, blah, blah hotel, And you'll see things that you think are actual real uh, reservations numbers or websites for that hotel. And what you don't realize is the results will often be for a third party, may even be a scam third party, 
that you do a booking with, and then you get to the hotel and they say, who are you? We don't know you. There is a way for you to potentially protect yourself from these kind of problems, and that is to use a little-known search engine called DuckDuckGo, which now my son has bookmarked and is the one he goes to now when he wants to find a company's customer service. DuckDuckGo.com, which you can add as uh, if you use the Chrome browser, which is ironically enough from Google, you can add a DuckDuckGo uh, icon up there. I have it right now. I clicked on it, and you do the search just like you would with Google or Bing or whatever, but with DuckDuckGo, you don't have to worry at all about your personal data or what kind of results will be presented. So it's not going to be foolproof, but it will dramatically improve the odds that you will get a good response, a real response, and will not end up in the hands of somebody who is taking advantage of you. And so my 12-year-old son was able to learn that without getting hurt. I want you to know it as well. Bill is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Bill. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you, sir? Good, good. So you have just extinguished debt on your home. Tell me about that. I bought a condo. I got the I got the seller to hold a note. Um, my goal was to pay it off in five years, and I paid it off in three and a half years. Wait, wait, wait. You paid off your entire residence in 42 months? I did, yeah. And you know that's I, fantastic. Well, I put money down, and then um, it was a 10-year note. So um, The so seller hates you because the seller was probably getting great interest from you. He was. He was, yeah. So, uh, so you know, with a 10-year note, so much more of the payment goes towards principal than interest. Sure. So, And so I was able to pay it down pretty quick, and then um, through work got some lump sums that I was able to just go ahead and pay it off. So, Wow. So congratulations. Uh, you know how many people would love to pay off purchasing a property in three-plus years. That's really extraordinary. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So how can I be of service? Because you definitely got an attaboy for that. So um, so that was um, so the condo um, was great and it was it was good for my family for a while. But so now we're going to go ahead and get um, a, a bigger like a house, you know, with a, that's going to give us a little more room and space uh, for for my family. And um, my question is, should I sell a condo? and then apply a lump sum to that mortgage to get it to where I could pay it off faster? Or should I rent the condo out? Because if I rent the condo out, then it will pretty much cover the mortgage payment on the house. And you'll have your first investment property with all the benefits that come from that. So right. the, the answer to this is not an automatic yes or no. Let's go through some protocol questions, okay? Okay. First question for you, has the condo risen significantly in value from your purchase price three and a half years ago? About 30%. Okay, so the advantage to selling at this point is that you would pocket that 30% gain 
tax-free. Right. If, in on the other hand, you turn it into a rental property, you eventually lose the tax-free ability to sell, and all your gain will be taxable. Plus, as you depreciate it over the years, you ultimately have potentially more embedded gain, more tax that you would face down the road. Unless I moved back into it and lived in it for uh, two, two, is it two or three years. They don't let you do that anymore. There were people doing that, uh, so the uh, rules have become more complicated on the move back in. Oh, okay. There was a change in, uh, gosh, I, I can't state chapter, I can't state it step by step how the new rule works, but it doesn't allow you to spring back in there for two years and say, okay, personal residence again, because so many people were doing that. Well, that's why I asked Clark. So now, thank you. So now there's a ratio system where the ratio of what would be shielded from tax is based on how many years it was a rental, how many years you lived in it. Gotcha. So as far as a long-term play, how do you feel about being a landlord? Um, I've actually done it before. I've had uh, investment properties um, in the past, and I think if I was going to do it this time, I would really want to have a property manager. Um, my wife doesn't agree with that. She thinks it's a, a waste to pay a property manager. But I'd rather just not let her manage it. Then wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I'm serious. If she, if you've d- been there, done that, and you think I'm only going to have an investment property if I've got somebody who manages it for us, takes off their eight, twelve percent, whatever it is, okay. and she's like, "That's a waste of money," then. Ask her, not in a snide kind of way, but ask her, would she like to manage it? Well, see, that's good. And, and okay, so she gets the call on the Sunday afternoon, you know, for whatever reason. Right. But but I'm still going to be involved in, in fixing whatever the situation is. Well, <laughs> if, if, that, <laughs> if that becomes an impasse between the two of you, then maybe you just sell it. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't want that to become a source of tension in your marriage. No, absolutely not. not and and then you can just take the proceeds. Are condos selling pretty quickly where this property is? Um, it was super hot in the spring. Um, the time on the market seems to be a little bit longer now. But there is a measurable time on market. Because if you go back to last decade, there was a time that it, you couldn't even measure because the condos weren't selling at all. But right. the one other thing to consider is that condominium associations all across the country are banning rentals. Mm-hmm. And right. so, so you do stand the chance that at some point they would either cap rentals or ban them mm-hmm. at the condominium, and then you're stuck with a place you're not allowed to rent. Right. So that's why I said it's like a checklist of things. Right. And there is no one right answer. And since you told me... You've been there, done that, and you really would rather have a professional property manager. That might tip the scales, that factor alone, for you to sell that thing and not be involved with it as an investment property. William is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, William. Hi, how are you? Great, William. You have a scenario that many people dread. You have a CD that is coming to maturity. How many year CD was it? Uh, it was like a five year CD, something like that. It was a relatively lengthy period of time. So you were earning a decent interest rate, I would guess, in that five year. What was it earning? Uh, I think it was less than one percent. Oh no! So it was not decent. 
No, it was lousy. <laughs> okay. So that's a long time to tie up money to get... You see, that's my point. I, we, uh, at this stage of our life, I'm not really looking for growth over a long, long period of time, you see. What I'm really interested in is having the money available, and secondly, having it not decrease in value over this period of time. Well, then I would say if you're just looking for a place to park the money, yeah, go into one of the online savings accounts. They're earning... 1% or so about what you're earning in the CD and the money's available to you typically with two days notice at mm. no penalty. Online uh, savings accounts? How yeah, there are lots of online savings accounts. How good are you on a computer? <laughs> I don't want just enough to be dangerous, I think. Okay, well then I think you could handle this. If you go to, give you the easiest spot I'd send you to would be bankrate.com. Okay. And you can click on their uh, savings button that you'll see right on the right-hand side. Mm -hmm. And you'll see the best rates available across America on savings. And then, again, you link it to your existing checking account. And when you do need the money, you just have to wait the two banking days. All right. Well, that sounds like pretty good advice. And how much money is involved in this CD? Oh, we're talking like 42, 43,000. Oh, you're fine. I was just trying to make sure you were under FDIC limits. Okay. So you're good. So I think that's going to be the best thing is not locking the money down, but just having it available. And then as rates change, maybe you decide at some point it would be a good idea to buy another CD with some of that money. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Phil is with us on the Clark Howard Show. So you want to talk about your car loan, right? That's correct. Uh, basically, I have about a year left in the service and about a year left, uh, a little over a year left to pay off an auto loan. And I think you told me that. you're in the Air Force? Yes, sir. And thank you for that. How many years service? I'm uh, just over 19 right now. Oh, you smart man. You're going to hit 20, which is, uh, you know, we underpay undercompensate our military personnel and for the entire time you serve and then it springs back with what you get when you get 20 years or more of service and so it's an overdue bill to you that we're going to start paying next year and thank you for what you've done thanks Clark. I appreciate that a lot so yeah basically i have a year about a little over a year left on a on a truck loan the interest rate's 1.99. I have some uh, money that I've, I've made in a uh, taxable mutual fund. And I was thinking about, because it's, it's gone up substantially, maybe taking some of that money and paying off the auto loan. But does it make sense with a low interest rate of 1.99? Uh, 
it's such a low interest rate that I wouldn't see that as being a high priority. So this mutual fund, you specifically feel like you should sell some of the shares now? I, I do. It's it's went up significantly, and I was think I know I'm going to pay taxes on the the earnings from it because uh, it's not a it, it isn't a taxable uh, mutual fund account S and P 500 type account, um, and so I know I'm going to take a tax hit on some. Oh, so it's in an index fund in S and P 500. Yes, it is. All right. The good news is that you will be eligible for favorable tax treatment on the gain. And you'll be taxed at long-term capital gains. And since we do underpay people serving in the U.S. military, the tax rate that you will pay for the initial profit will be zero. Once you cross a certain threshold, you'll still pay a very reasonable tax rate on the gain. So you get back all your original investment plus with minimal tax on the gain you'll have had. Okay. Now... When I do end up, I guess, use the word cash out or, or take some of that uh, that fund, is it better to take the uh, last in, first out option when I do that? Well, you're selling the whole position, right? Well, I was gonna I was gonna leave some of it because it, it it grew up so much that I think I you know to take some from it and maybe you can do some you can do some harvesting, there. but again, your tax rate is so favorable serving in the military that. I wouldn't even worry about it. The, the The company managing the fund for you will have standardized tax reporting. They'll do. And I think you'll be fine with that. You don't need to try to tax harvest that. But the gotcha. thing I would like for you to consider instead of paying off the car loan is take some of that money and throw it in a Roth IRA. Yeah, I've heard you talk about Roths, and I'm I'm currently in another Roth uh, through a, another company besides the one I'm, I'm using S and P. So um, you could take you could take out. the money from the company that's going to give you the proceeds and just throw it into that Roth you have because you're allowed to put up to fifty five hundred each year in a Roth, and then that okay. money and we wouldn't be talking about tax bills because the money you'd put in there would just grow tax free all through the years and be spent tax free. Okay. So I, I would not pay off a 1.99% car loan. And which credit union wrote you a loan that cheap? Uh, I think that one was, um, it was, initially I think it was Pentagon or Navy, one of those two. <laughs> I was at an event recently. Pentagon Federal Credit Union was the first credit union I was ever a member of when I was, I was actually a civilian employee with the Air Force at one time. And okay. I'm now a member of Navy Federal, and the Pentagon Federal Credit Union people I just saw were very upset with me. I'm not a member of that anymore. Both of them are great credit unions, though, and good for you saving this money, investing, and having success with it. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews. 